1: Hey there, True Crime Addicts. It's me, James Renner, with a special episode of True Crime This Week. I know this is the Philosophy of Crime's podcast page. What the heck? Well, I just, I'm going to drop this here. Give it a listen. If you like it, please subscribe. Jump over to the new podcast. It comes out every Friday morning. It's a wrap-up of all the true crime stories you might have missed in the last week. Uh, I will be back with Philosophy of Crime in a few months, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's still my favorite. But uh, check out the new one, True Crime This Week. Here's, t- here's uh, yesterday's episode. Congratulations, true crime addicts. We've survived another week. It is August 26, 2022. And these are the top true crime stories from around the world, brought to you by me, James Renner. Hey, um, before we get to the top stories, some good news to share at the top of the show. True Crime This Week has appeared on the most popular true crime podcast charts. That's right. It's true. Uh, Asterix here. Uh, In Russia. (laughs) We're one of the more popular true crime podcasts in the Federation of Russia. Um, So, uh, uh, as they say in Russia, Privyat Ruskies, welcome to the show. Uh, you know, uh, um, let's let Ukraine have a break, maybe? Uh, don't hate me, please. Um, also, a couple things. Uh, I'm on YouTube, if you haven't figured this out yet. If you're on YouTube, subscribe. Uh, as the as the kids say, punch that subscribe button. Uh, check me out if you want to see my handsome mug. Uh, I am on YouTube. And uh, I've hired my first employee, and uh, he's operating the cameras today. Uh, Walter, say hello to everybody. And, and that's Walter. So, uh, welcome to the show. Let's get to the top stories. Uh, we're going to go controversial this week, right off the top of the bat. Um, this just happened yesterday, but let me give you a little backstory. We're going to go back in time. Uh, In the fall of 2020, this is in the height of the pandemic, Amy Harris and Robert Kurlander committed a crime that could have derailed the presidential election. You're going to want to know those names. Amy Harris and Robert Kurlander. What did they do? I'll tell you. They stole the diary of Ashley Biden. That's Joe Biden's daughter. And they sold it to a an ultra-right-wing propaganda outfit for $40,000. Now, Ashley Biden had been staying at a residence in Florida. She left her diary there, and Amy and Robert found it and then sold it, along with uh, some of her other things. Now, part of this plea deal, so this just happened yesterday. They pleaded guilty to conspiracy to transport Stolen materials in a federal court in Manhattan. This is according to the New York Times. And part of this deal makes them, uh, well, part of the prosecution in, in any case that they're building against members of Project Veritas. Now, Project Veritas is that ultra-right-wing uh, propaganda arm. Um, that's who they sold it to. And the government is alleging they... Uh, that Project Veritas or reporters working with them told them to steal more stuff and send it to them. Uh, there, here's a quote, quote, Project Veritas, Veritas has demanded an interview with her father about the contents of the diary. So this, this quote, a little, little background, this quote is coming to you from another, uh, <laughs> news source, the Daily Mail. Um, which, and all these articles are linked in the liner notes of this podcast, by the way, but here, here's a quote. Oh, I'm sorry. This sounded like the Daily Mail, but it's actually still the New York Times. Sorry. This is a quote from the New York Times article. Um, quote, Project Veritas had demanded an, in, demanded an interview with her father, that would be President Joe Biden, about the contents of this diary, which included embarrassing disclosures about them. Now, the rest of this stuff you have to get from other news sources, but the full diary has been published. Now, if you haven't figured this out yet, I am, I am a liberal, a, a, extremely progressive. Uh, a Marxist once told me I'm too progressive. So that's where I'm coming from. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about what was in those diaries. Just like I told you about Hunter Biden's laptop, I think these are big stories, and I don't understand why they're not being covered more. If this was Trump and Trump's family, we would certainly be covering them, and we should be. Um, So this, including embarrassing disclosures about them, what does that mean? I'll tell you. Um, Like I said, the diaries were published online. So there was a A January 2019 entry in this diary where Joe Biden's daughter is speculating about the beginnings of her sex addiction, which she talks about in these diaries. And here's a quote from the diary, quote, I remember having sex with friends at a young age, comma, showers with my dad, probably not appropriate. Make of that what you will but that is the crux of all this drama surrounding the diary. Now, um, I don't know if you've seen this, but you know, like I said, I'm a liberal. Uh, I did vote for Biden because the alternative was somebody that was batshit crazy, um, and I would do it again, but I'm no fan of Biden's. If you go on to um, YouTube, you will see these compilation of videos showing Biden sniffing young girls' hair and groping them at White House uh, picture parties. Um, It's disgusting. Um, Put away your your political leanings. You watch these videos and tell me if you would have your daughter pose with him. Um, This is extremely disturbing. And the Hunter Biden laptop thing is legitimate. And there's enough on that laptop that it does compromise the most powerful man in the free world, um, and for that alone, I believe he should have resigned by now. So that's where I'm at. I'm kind of in the middle. This is, this, you know, this whole thing is crazy. But these people pleaded guilty to stealing this diary. The diary is becoming more and more credible as time goes by. People, and this Project Veritas is obviously the target of this, and they're they're. They're not, they're, they're not heroes in this whole thing. Um, so anyways, uh, long story short, I, you know, I think of the West Wing and Jed Bartlett, you know, and I know it's a fictitious character, but he would have resigned if this stuff about the laptop was out there, uh, the stuff about the diary. So, um, you know, if Aaron Sorkin were writing this, we'd already have a new president. Moving on. How about, a, how about a, a, a cult story? You know, those are big in, in true crime. It, it happens everywhere. Now, when I hear about a Christian creepy sex cult, I am automatically assume we're going to be talking about something that happened in Nebraska or like Iowa. Um, not the case here. We're talking about South Yorkshire, which is in northern England. Police there are are investigating allegations of sex offenses going back to the 1980s related to a Christian cult known as the Nine O'Clock Service, which held raves in the name of Jesus. The 80s, granted, were a weird time. Cocaine was very cheap and uh, everywhere, um, so <laughs> people got crazy ideas. Um, Including this Christian sex cult, the nine o'clock service, um, they just kind of did everything. The, the, the person, this guy that was in charge of the nine o'clock sex cult, um, one of the first things he did was go and, and buy. He bought Robert De Niro's costume from the film "The Mission. Have you seen it? It's a pretty good movie. He bought that. He's like, "Oh, that looks sweet." And he bought it and wore it for his ordination. So right away he was off to a wacky start. Um, he enlisted postmodern nuns that are alleged to have served him through sex acts. This is according to an article in the Daily Beast. In related news, the punk group Postmodern Nuns will be, form- be <laughs> they'll be performing with the Black Keys at the Grog Shop this Saturday. So check them out. Um, anyways, this week uh, a man and a woman associated with this cult were arrested in England. And four former members have come forward in recent months alleging sex assault. So, new Netflix documentary for sure. we got to talk about Gary Busey before we go to the break. Gary Busey. Look at his beautiful mug. Oh, man. Um, You millennials, Gary Busey was this actor from the 80s that is mostly known for his teeth um, and uh, appeared as uh, Buddy Holly in the Buddy Holly story, uh, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Anyways, news broke last week that Gary Busey was charged with two counts of fourth degree sexual contact, criminal sexual contact, and one count of sex harassment. Oh my God. What happened? Well, he appeared at a sci-fi convention, or, or a horror convention. It's a Monster Mania convention in New Jersey. This happened in early August, according to CNN, and just charged last week. Women um, would show up at this convention and pay to have uh, his their picture taken with him. I don't know how much he was charging. It's Gary Busey. I'm guessing like 50 bucks. You get a picture with Gary Busey, take home. Anyways, during those photo shoots, um, he allegedly motorboated a woman and said, where'd you get these? Another woman said he grabbed her, her butt during a, another photograph. Now, that's pretty damning when you hear it. But l- l- let me give you some exculpatory evidence, as they say. First of all, Gary Busey is 78 years old. My grandfather died at like 72 and I remember what he what he was like towards the end, and he was old as fuck um, and uh, wouldn't have known that he was even at a convention. so the fact that gary busey is is seventy eight and he's here, I want you to think about that for a second now A day after he was charged, he was cited he lives in Malibu, California, by the way. he was cited at a park in Malibu with his pants down um this is not normal behavior, uh, and I think we need to take in the fact that he might be. There might be some cognitive dissonance going on here, to put it lightly. Now, Gary Busey was—he was changed after like 1988. That's when he like went wacko and had the crazy hair and the t- and you know everything. Um, before that, he was pretty calm, but after that, so what happened in 1988? he suffered brain trauma after an accident on his motorcycle. So there's ample argument here that he is not working to the best of his abilities. I hope he seeks help. That's what should be happening. We shouldn't be trying to drag this guy down over um, acting like a crazy 78-year-old because obviously that's what's going on. Uh, When he died, by the way, in 1988, uh, he came out of that he he managed to survive against all odds uh, when they interviewed him. He said he remembered um, experiencing death and, and being out of his body and said he was surrounded by angels and balls of lighting, uh, lightning were all around him and he was never the same. So um, you know, wishing Gary Busey a, a quick recovery here. Um, Not to be confused with Nick Nolte. I was going to say, hey, maybe we'll get a Beverly Hills Cop 4. That's Nick Nolte. You're you're, you're thinking of Nick Nolte. Anyways, I've got some crazy genetic genealogy news, including something that happened back in New Jersey that might be the end of genetic genealogy as we know it. Several cold case updates. Kylie Rodney case is over unfortunately. We will be back after the break. I'll be back in two and two with more true crime this week.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: Hey, True Crime Addicts. It's me, James Renner, here to tell you about Silk City Hot Sauce. That's right. I've got with me Aztec Attack. It's a nice green uh, hot sauce. You don't get those too often, um, but you're going to want to try this. You're going to taste it, and it's not like Frank's Red Hot Sauce or Sriracha. You're going you're gonna to put it on some stuff, and you're going to be like, oh, James, this is farm fresh, and damn right it is. It is farm fresh, grown from fresh uh, carrots and tomatoes and habaneros in the wonderful state of Vermont. Uh, That's Silk City Hot Sauce. It comes with these wonderful uh, little comic book illustrations on the front, too. Um, I like to put it on corn tortilla tacos, what they call street tacos um, in AK Rowdy. That's Akron, Ohio. And, uh, yeah, try it out. Um, Go to SilkCityHotSauce.com. Enter in my promo code CRIME. That's C-R-I-M-E crime for up to 15% off on your in next order. And we're back to true crime this week. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I might have that wrong. It appears we're back with uh, American Gladiators starring Barry Turner. I almost missed it that, this week. Um, I've got some cold case updates for you. First up, Kylie Rodney. We talked about her case last week. She was missing, we thought possibly abducted. Uh, She went missing after a party at a campground north of Lake Tahoe. This is according to USA Today. Uh, She, remember she texted her mother, said she'd be home in about 45 minutes, never arrived. They were looking for her and her 2013 Honda CRV. Well, they did a massive search they sent divers into the reservoir where she was last seen. They didn't find anything until a few days ago. That's when divers with Adventures with Purpose, which is a nonprofit, you're going to want to check out. They found her inside her 2013 Honda CRV. She was under 14 feet of water in that reservoir where everybody had searched. Now, uh, this is just another growing trend in the privatization of police work, which may or may not be a good thing. I kind of think it is, you know. Um, so nice job for divers with advent, uh, from Adventures with Purpose. Uh, support them if you can. They're actually staying in California looking for a couple other missing people in their vehicles up there. So, sad end to the Kylie Rodney case, although, you know, the the silver lining here is that she was not being held captive uh, by by somebody in that region. One more cold case update story here, you're going to want to check out, um, you should be a fan of True Crime Garage if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, Nick Edwards with True Crime Garage is also a board member with the Porchlight Project, which is the nonprofit that I started in 2019 that raises funds for new DNA testing and genetic genealogy for Ohio cold cases. <sighs> wow, that was a mouthful. Um, <laughs> True Crime Garage is doing a four part series on the Nancy Eagleson case. And this is our latest case that we're helping out with. Now, Nancy Eagleson. Uh, was abducted and murdered in 1960. She was just 14 years old. She was walking back home from a movie in Paulding, Ohio, a very small, uh, bucolic little community in um, outside of Dayton, up near Fort Wayne, Indiana, actually on the Ohio side. She was walking back home. She had her five. Uh, her, she had her younger sister Cheryl with her at the time. She was abducted and murdered. They found her body just the next morning. Never been solved. The police over the years have lost all evidence. So what we're doing is we're raising money for uh, an exhumation. We're going to exhume Nancy Eagleson's remains. There's a court hearing set for September. I'm going to talk about it as we get closer. But check out this four-part series with True Crime Garage on the Nancy Eagleson case. It's a very compelling mystery. still could be solved. Um, Check it out if you can somebody knows something as they say genetic genealogy news first up i've got good news and bad news let's get to the good news first this about um, the body start out with a story here the body of 26 year old ann kane was found near the antelani trail in pennsylvania on october 23rd 1988 she had been beaten and strangled she was a mother of three just this week, police in Pennsylvania identified one Scott Grimm as the murderer. This is according to Denver Channel 7. Police collected DNA evidence from her clothing back in 1990 or I'm sorry, 1988. But there was no match. They couldn't match it to anybody back then. Remember, DNA was in its very early days in '88. Now, in two years after the murder, in 1990 Local news in Pennsylvania ran a front-page article about Ann Kane's case. And after, after that article came out, the newspaper got a letter from a concerned citizen named Scott Grimm that contained very specific details about the murder. So the police were always like, oh, let's, let's get this guy in the list. So Parabon Labs, that's CeCe Moore's outfit. Um, CeCe Moore, a friend of the show, hopefully. They tested DNA from that envelope that Scott Grimm sent to the newspaper, and they compared it against the DNA found on Ann Cain's clothing. And wouldn't you know it? It's a match. Unfortunately, Grimm died of natural causes in 2018 at the age of 58. But there is resolution. We have an answer in the case. And as always, that is the most important part of these unsolved mysteries. Now, here's the bad news in genetic genealogy. Um, Did you screen your baby for genetic defects at birth? I did, I have two kids, they were both screened. They take that little blood sample from their foot and they run it through their system, make sure everything's okay. Well, you probably did whether you know it or not, if it happened in the last 50 years. Um, If it, (laughs) that was my stomach. Well, you probably did whether you know it or not, if, if you gave birth in the last 50 years. Uh, Well, hopefully nobody you know has committed a crime. Wired.com is reporting on a shocking misuse of genetic genealogy. This is out of New Jersey where police recently sought uh, they were able to get a subpoena and a warrant for uh, newborn blood from a hospital to see if that child's father was guilty of a sex assault. They took a sample from a baby to see if its father had committed a sex crime. Uh, stuff like this, you know, right now, genetic genealogy is unregulated. It's the wild west, people. Uh, and it's kind of a good thing right now because we're solving lots of lots of cold cases, but it will be regulated and quickly, especially if we keep messing it up like this. The There's like a gentleman's agreement right now that you don't do stuff like this, that you only test Sus- suspect evidence from cases against uh, felons, um, and then the suspect DNA can be compared with public databases. But you only use this in rape and murder. Now, granted, this is a rape, but this kid had nothing to do with anything, and it's, it's what you're doing is violating the Fourth Amendment, unwarranted search and seizures. This is going to mess things up for everybody, so cut it out. Um, this reminds me, you know, earlier this year when San Francisco police used an old rape kit to link a woman to some stupid property crime. This woman reported a rape, uh, a very traumatic event for her. She gave her, you know, the, they collected DNA, and she got in some petty trouble later, and they used that rape kit to to catch her. It's it's ridiculous. So. We need to regulate genetic genealogy like 10 years ago. I'm afraid Pandora's already out of the box. I don't think we'll ever be able to really fix this. Um, by the way, you know, what, what we're leading up to is that everybody in, in the United States, at least, is going to be on a genetic list if they're not already, at, you know, through the NSA or something. But um, I, I would say we're, you know, we're about five years away from having a full family tree of everybody and and some system is going to know how we're related to everybody in our lives it's coming we're trying to slow it down because it's a little scary but it's inevitable i think got some weird news for you do you make a habit of checking the back seat of your car before you drive home after a long day at work you're going to want to start doing that after you hear the story Last week, an unnamed woman was driving from Eastern, uh, Easton, Massachusetts, to Providence, Rhode Island, before she realized there was a semi-naked man laying in the back seat of her car. How creepy is that? She pulled off into a parking lot, called the police. They came. They found this 20-year-old man uh, asleep in her back seat. He was highly intoxicated. Didn't seem like he was planning anything, maybe just crawled in there to sleep off a bender or something. I don't know, but it could have been tragic. Now, she said she drove for like, I don't know, like an hour or something. She didn't notice this guy in her back seat. Why? She was distracted because she was listening to a podcast on her radio. Now, it doesn't name the podcast, but we must assume that she's talking about true crime this week. Some pop culture news. Uh, There's a great new documentary out called Running with the Devil, The Wild World of John McAfee. If you don't know about this guy's tale, buckle up. Now, you know that name, don't you? McAfee, it sounds familiar. That's because uh, he's the namesake of a very popular antivirus software. John McAfee is a British-American, was British-American. He was a two-time presidential candidate. He was running as a libertarian. He's famous for writing this antivirus software, the McAfee uh, software, way back in 1987. He was on the cusp of that whole thing. Intel bought him out for $7 billion. Stupid, crazy money. After he got that money, he disappeared to Belize. I've only ever, I was in Belize once, it was on my honeymoon, we stopped in, uh, it was like a crazy out of the way place, perfect place to disappear if you want to like lay low and and, like hang out and and smoke ganja on the the beach, as they say, but he was there hanging out and suddenly his neighbor died, shot to death, and the police came asking questions, McAfee so scared he fled back to the United States. Now, uh, is he wrapped up in this murder? He said people were after him. He, you know, he's either a crazy conspiracy theorist or um, uh, the center of a a vast uh, revenge uh, uh, initiative, conspiracy of some sort. So it is wacky. Um, So check it out, Running With The Devil, The Wild World of John McAfee we got to check the charts. Uh, This is the top true crime podcast, according to Chartable. Now, usually I give you like a rundown of the top 10, or I try to find something in the 20s and 30s to, to, you know, to to tell you about some new podcasts. But this week, oh my God, we got to talk about the top contenders. So for the last several weeks, uh, Ashley Flowers and Crime Junkie, her podcast, have been battling it out. With this newer podcast called Morbid, that's run by Elena Erkehart. Uh and they were vying for the top spot. Now, one thing that's happened in the last couple weeks is that Morbid has been moved off the true crime charts. They're not listed as true crime anymore, even though they cover some creepy crimes. They're not listed as comedy. So there's some uh, something happened there, some sort of politics, I don't know. Um, but here's the cool thing: Ashley Flowers and Elena Urquhart both have novels coming out within like weeks of each other. They're they're not only duking it out on the podcast space, but also on the New York Times bestseller list. By the way, Ashley Flowers number one New York Times bestseller. She will have that forever. That's wonderful. Um, I sent her a congratulatory email today. So let me let me get you up to speed. You're going to want to order both of these books, by the way. They're both novels. These are not true crime books. They're, they're mysteries. They're thrillers. Uh, Ashley Flowers wrote this book uh, called All Good People Here. Here's the write-up. Every, everyone from uh, Wakarusa, is that a real town? Wakarusa, Indiana, remembers the infamous case of January Jacobs, who was discovered in a ditch after her family awoke to find her gone. Margot Davies was six at the time, the same age as January, and they were next-door neighbors. In the 20 years since, Margot has grown up, moved away, and become a big city journalist, but she's always been haunted by the feeling that it could, could have been her. And the worst part is, January's killer has never been brought to justice. When Margo returns home to help care for her uncle after he was diagnosed with early-onset dementia, she feels like she's walked into a time capsule. Wakarusa is exactly how she remembers, genial, stifled, secretive. Then news breaks about five-year-old Natalie Clark from the next town over, who's gone missing under circumstances eerily similar to January's. With all the old feelings rushing back, Margo vows to find Natalie and to solve January's murder once and for all. Wonderful. Love that write up. I'm sold. Now, Elena also has a book coming out. Hers comes out September 13th. Who's going to win here? Um, Her book is called The Butcher and the Wren. Let me tell you about it. Something dark is lurking in the Louisiana Bayou. Man, I love Bayou thrillers, by the way. A methodical killer with a penchant for medical experimentation is hard at work completing his most. Harrowing crime yet, taunting the authorities who desperately try to catch up. But forensic pathologist Dr. Wren Moller is the best there is. Armed with an encyclopedic knowledge of historic crimes and years of experience working in the medical examiner's office, she's never encountered a case she couldn't solve. Until now. Dun, dun, dun. Case after case is piling up on Wren's examination table, and soon she's sucked into an all-consuming cat-and-mouse chase with the brutal murderer getting more brazen by the day yes please uh wonderful um you know uh one-upsmanship there um i wish them both well to the victor goes the spoils of the true crime podcast charts and that's that's the news for this week folks and um it is friday and here we are alive and healthy reason to celebrate and in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, the godfather of Cleveland radio, we got to, 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 get down. Damn it.